oftentimes what I do is that you set the expectation, you then put in the mechanism where someone can evaluate themselves against the expectation, and then you just hold up the mirror and ask, how do you think you're doing? And that, in my opinion, is the best way to hold someone accountable. How do you create an unshakable business? I crossed $100 million in net worth by the age of 28. Now I'm growing acquisition.com into a billion dollar portfolio. In this podcast, I share the lessons I've learned in scaling big businesses and helping our portfolio companies do the same. Buckle up and let's build. So um, I wanted, okay, so I want to go back to talent and Mosey talent. Tell us about that. And I'll go from there. Um, it's literally just right now uh, our talent funnel. So for portfolio companies, uh, essentially we do the recruiting for the leadership and specialized roles. Mm-hmm. Scope creep probably. Yeah. Um, that's okay. Like I want to help. And and you guys are placing all the operators, right? Just to be clear. Yes. Yeah. So leadership, which is often somebody comes to us. A lot of people do need like an operator. Mm-hmm. Um, some are like some founders come in like twos or threes. So we have a few of like three founders and two founders. Those tend to be honestly the best uh, scenarios because there's usually a natural operator in there. But a lot of the ones that come to us, especially when it's a single founder, they need an operator. Um, and so Mosey Talent kind of was just born in that. My vision when we started Acquisition.com was that we recruited their leadership teams because with our first two companies, it was so painful because I would tell them who they need to hire. Here's the JD. Here's all It would just be the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what? We know what good looks like. They don't yet. Let's help them find these people as a piece of what we do. And it worked out really well because, you know, we're able to see not just is this the right person for this role, but is this the right person for their company? Because we know their values, we know their Mm. culture, and we know the founder. And so it worked out better than using any outsourced recruiting firm to just take it in-house and help do that. Because that was kind of what I was going to do in the beginning is just outsource to a recruiting firm. But then I was like, that doesn't we know them better. And, and I understand recruiting, like, let's just do it in house. And yep. so Mosey Talent is really if people sign up for it, uh, they are first on like our list for picking for the new roles that open up in our portfolio companies or in acquisition.com. Um, and so then they're basically like they get first dibs of the jobs. That's really what it is. And it's being built out right now, because essentially what I'd like to build it into is a talent community where we can teach people skills, we can add value to them in different ways of like, this is how you build a resume. Here's interview tips, you know, and then even job specific skills at some point to be training them on those things. Um, you know, that's not a need yet, but it's where it's going. Mm-hmm. And I think it works out really well because, you know, even if they don't get the job or whatever, like even a lot of them have said going through the interview process alone has been very beneficial for them because we give them feedback. You know yeah. what I mean? I love that. And most, I mean, look, you got... You guys' content funnels creates deal flow, but also creates talent flow as well. And you're you're doing something with that. And that's actually brings me to my next point. Actually, my friends, I was like, oh, Layla does this mosey talent thing. I'm like, I want to learn more about it. He's like, well, get the macro steps from her on how to build talent pipeline. So the macro steps on building a talent pipeline. Yeah. I can tell you the biggest secret for building a talent pipeline. Go for it. To have a brand. Okay. I recruited every person myself. Gym launch day one. Two young founders, no track record, no brand, nothing. Mm-hmm. T- just tough. Just tough. Yeah. Then every year watching it transform, 
to when gym launch was bigger, feeling like, oh, we have people coming to us now. When it started to gain success, I was like, people are coming to us. And so my actual like goal for every portfolio company is that they eventually have the inbound funnel, which is what we really have right now a lot of, is we have a lot of inbound. Now, you can do more to get more qualified inbound. Um, you know, in terms of a talent funnel, I think that people, if you're, if you have no brand and you have to just like macro step, step-by-step step build a talent funnel, it is literally no different than an acquisition funnel for clients. It's like you have, you know, they see an ad, it's calling out an avatar, you click on the ad, it does a, a qualification process for that. You can set up a time right that like, I just mirror the exact same thing. And I think for me, when I first started building it for Gym Launch, when we had really no brand or following or anything, I just looked at what we were doing for ads. And I said, I'm just going to do that for jobs. That's it. Like one for one, mm-hmm. even in terms of how intricately I wrote copy. So something, a fun fact for you is that the one job description I have wrote the most times and tried and hired for the most is an operator. And when I have asked them what caught your eye, because I always ask people, I'm like, why did you apply for this job? And I find really interesting is that they all said it was the ad. Mm. And you know who wrote that ad? You. Me, who's interviewed the most operators. And so it really does, in my opinion, a lot of it comes down to people take all the steps I tell them to, but they forego how thoughtful they are in writing the copy. Like, I really pay a lot of attention to the copy, like the headline that catches their attention, the copy below that, and then the job description copy itself. Because people think, they're like, oh, nobody reads it. But they read every line. Like, I'm not kidding you. They read every line of that job description. And so I write the job description in a way that I know appeals to people. I also build a job in a way that appeals to people. But it also appeals in the way I write it. I'm not going to write it in like a monotonous tone that sounds like everything else when you Google it. And so I think that a lot of people don't pay attention to the steps there. You know, it's like, I think that they they put up the ads, they put up the job, they put up the pay, and they forget the little things like speak to the person that you want to hire. And then they will be the ones that apply. Mm-hmm. I've even had it where I've posted for, you know, C-level $500,000 a year roles on Indeed. And because the copy was so good, someone randomly applied who was qualified and yeah. fit the persona. You've gotten – okay, we're going we're gonna to back that for a second. But I, I remember um, when I was – I think I was 22. So I, I didn't know internet marketing or digital marketing yet. Yeah. And um, I saw this job on Craigslist and it was a long form sales letter with really good copy. This guy learned from like Gary Halpert or whatever. It's a long form sales letter. There's a bunch of stuff in there. So I'm, I'm curious because I look at a really good JD as a sales letter. So like, yes, what goes into yours that sets yours apart? I mean, I think that I'll be honest at the end of the day, the company is what sets it apart because it'd be like trying to sell a crappy product. You know what I mean? Like it's much easier to just sell a good product, which mm-hmm. is like it's much easier to advertise for a good company. I always start it off talking about the mission and the values. And I know that sounds like cliche, but this is in the JD. Yeah. Got the it. top of the JD is always about the mission and the values. Yep, yep. So when I'm posting a job, the first thing that's there is like, this is the company. This is what we do. This is the mission. And here are our values. If you do not align with those things, then we wish you best of luck if yep. you do keep reading. And then I go into the job description. And usually when I think about the job description, when I'm speaking to the person, I'm thinking, what problem does this role solve? And then I speak from that perspective because I believe that if you speak to the impact somebody's going to have in the organization, that's what's incentivizing for the kind of people I want to work with. The job with. to be done. Yeah. They yeah. want to know like that they're going to have meaningful work. And I'm like, here's what I'm dealing with. 
Like when I advertised for an executive assistant, I said, I'm working from when I wake up to when I go to bed. My email inbox is never at zero. My, I can't ever get back to my text messages. Mm. People have been waiting on me for weeks for things. Projects are disorganized, slipping through the cracks, and I'm losing my mind and my husband doesn't have a wife. Can you help me? (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, I love that because they're all, they want to help and they want to make my life better. Yeah. And people feel that way except with the job. They're like, wow, I want to make the company better. Yeah. And they see the opportunity. And so I think that the more clearly you can define what's the problem that they're solving and what's the impact they're going to have, then I think that that the better candidates you'll get because the best candidates want to have an impact on the organization and they want to know that they can feel it. You know what's interesting? Um, I feel like I've inter- I've the only interaction I've had with your EA, your executive assistant today, Mick, I feel like she's more in line with how your personality is. Whereas Alex's EA is more like she's more intense from the vibe. I feel I haven't talked to them ever, right? You can just tell from how they write it. And like it's which one did so they're both my EAs. Oh, are they? Yeah. Okay. So But then we take his stuff and, and source it the, out. The one with the Y is more intense. The one she with is. the D is very like, sweet. you know, sweet. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it means uh, so she's the senior executive assistant. Yeah. She's been with me for six years. Yeah, and then Davina has been with us for a year. Yeah, not even a year yet. Yeah, um, I, they're both absolutely amazing. Yeah, but it is I funny because yeah. Yasmin's like a yeah get done yeah. power player, and Davina's like yeah. very sweet and accommodating, yeah. and they do great balancing each other. Yasmin's so Yasmin's so funny. She like so um we're getting the address for this place. She's like, hey, I need the address for the place, right? And then like you know. I'll check my email like the next day or something. And I didn't respond quickly enough. She's like, hey, like basically like any time now. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right, man. I'm like, okay, okay. I like it. I like it. Um, so let, let's go, let's go to leader. So you just mentioned, and this could be the headline here, recruiting executives from Indeed. That is because typically I would think that the the best of the best you're typically and you probably are sourcing them, right? Mm-hmm. But um how many people have you actually gotten from Indeed that are like that level? Because that I would like to know more about that. Uh, well, I would say less less than more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, like a few, like I could probably count on one hand. Still amazing. Yeah. But here's the thing is that most people, I think that this is the thing, is that the difference between acquiring talent and acquiring customers is that you acquire customers all the time, every day. You get to innovate on that process all the time. You only hire a sales director like, once and then maybe again in four years. Yep. And so how good can you get at recruiting for that person? Mm-hmm. How certain are you of where they are looking and what channel they're on, et cetera? Yep. So I say like more of like the spray and pray. Mm-hmm. Like I will post on every platform. We will try outreach. We will yep. try inbound. We will do every mechanism possible yep. for a role because we're probably only hiring it for one time. Now, like if we're hiring for multiple sales reps, I'm going to probably get really good at finding sales reps, understand what platform they live on, understand their pro- persona, mm-hmm. all those things. Yep. So I'm going to be able to go really deep on one channel. Mm-hmm. But I would say like cast a wide net in the case of recruiting because you're probably not very good at it and you probably don't have the best funnel. So it's yep. like you want to cast a wider net in that case, yep. which is most of the time for most people. Totally. And actually, I mean, so what you think about the 30 people that you have at acquisition.com right now, what percentage, because they all sound pretty high level to me, what percent were source versus job posting, whatever else you have? I don't know. I think a lot of them, like we would put up a job organically and a lot of people would apply mm-hmm. because they've been following us. Yep. Um, that's definitely the case for a lot of like media. For more of the team on the portfolio side, we found more of them or found through referrals. Got it. Less of them coming to us because I think on the portfolio side are we don't have a ton of 
We don't have as many executives following us as we do people qualified. They're not as many people qualified for the executive role as yeah. there are for some of the other roles. Dude, have you guys remember where we're eating last year? Um, I was talking about how because you you both have a pretty decent following. It's like, hey, who's the best CEO that you know? Tag them in here, right? Have you guys tried that on social yet? It's like no. we'll give you like X amount of dollars if we make the hire. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, that could work. Have you done that? No, I haven't. Let me know how it goes, and we'll we'll come back in a year. We'll come see. back because I, I think tag you guys... the best CEO. You know, so yeah. okay, CEOs maybe too high level. It's like who's the best like VP of marketing that you know? Tag them in here. You know, we'll make the hire type of thing. I hear what you're saying, and those go crazy, right? Yeah, that's on both LinkedIn and on Twitter. Um, let me know how it goes. Huh? Yeah. You just poach them though. No, you don't poach them. So they're just like tagging their friends. Yeah, you are poaching them, I guess. Yeah, and I don't like, know. I feel about you know what I mean. Like, if, what if why? what if the best one is like my friends? You know, then okay, that's different. That's like you need to have a conversation. Yeah. But then it's like, I because the thing that's popping up for me is like I just remember the people that I've been nurturing for, and you know this like with executive hires, like sometimes you're nurturing them for like two, three, four years or whatever. Yeah, and I'm like, man, the ones that I've kept on deck right now have really all come from stuff like that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, not just a thought. Not telling you you should do it. I think you you talked about the portfolio CEOs that you're hiring. These are people that you're sourcing referrals, right? And the then CEOs. Yeah, the operators. Operators. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we source those ones. Okay. And then the people for acquisition.com. That's a job post, right? So okay, I didn't realize that you were asking me about anyone for our portfolio companies yeah. when you asked about. That. I'm like moving around. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was referring to acquisition.com, like Holdco. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In terms of for our portfolio companies, mm -hmm. um, it's a it's a mix. I wouldn't. I don't know the exact percentage right now. Got it. And now I want to go back to kind of the mission and values piece because I think people tend to gloss over this. It's like, oh yeah, okay, mission values, whatever. But I feel like you and Alex really live your mission and values like every single day to a T, right? How do you, how, what's your style of holding people accountable? I think that you have to define what the values mean and what they mean in terms of behavior. So that's the expectation, right? It's like these values mean this. You behave in these ways. If you agree to work here, you also agree to behave in those ways, right? In terms of holding people accountable, I think it's putting in tools where they can assess themselves and then you can ask them about that. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy for me to hold people accountable because I have so many ways in which I have them report on their own progress in terms of our values and their, and their jobs. Mm -hmm. So on a weekly basis, I have end of week reports where they're reporting on it. I would say metrics progress mm -hmm. and project progress as well as personal progress. And this is a one-on-one? -on -one. This is an end of week report. Got it. So they have to write in there and tell me these things. Okay, right? got it. That, in my opinion, is like one of the best ways that I can do it. And people always fill it out because guess what I do? I comment on every single thing they say. I don't miss a point. I read every single line. I respond to everything they say. Mm -hmm. It takes me a long time. <laughs> but like I've done this for years. And I think that the reason most people are really at getting reporting is because nobody reinforces them filling out the report. So that's the first thing that I do. The second thing in terms of holding people accountable and just real I quick, think, sorry. Yeah. And that's a, that's like a Google Doc? Yeah. Okay, got it. Just, I like love a, how simple it is. I love it. Yeah, it's just yeah, a, yeah. literally a Google Doc. Yeah. I, I, works for me. Yeah. And we have like systems for like feedback and stuff, like formal quarterly reviews and stuff mm -hmm. where we do the same thing, but they actually don't have an end of week report system in there. So got it. either way. Um, I would say that oftentimes what I do is that you set the expectation. You then put in the mechanism where someone can evaluate themselves against the expectation. 
And then you just hold up the mirror and ask, how do you think you're doing? And that, in my opinion, is the best way to hold someone accountable. Now, I think a lot of people think that accountability is telling someone that they're doing something wrong. I think that that is poor management because they don't already know they're doing something wrong because you haven't put the systems in place for them to be able to measure their own progress. And so I think that I used to have to tell people they were doing things wrong all the time because I didn't understand that if I put in mechanisms where they had to report on their progress themselves, and it's so much better this way because then they take ownership over it. They take ownership because they see that they're not making progress in certain areas and they'll point it out to me. And then I can be their partner in figuring out what we can do to move that metric or to get that project done faster or, hey, maybe we shouldn't even be doing the project. And it becomes much more of like a collaborative process than Mm -hmm. a, I have to come tell you you're doing something wrong every time something isn't being met. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And are you, so I'm assuming this is the end of the week report, you're leaving comments and it leads into like a one-on-one next week or something like that, right? Yep. Yep. And then on the one-on-one, we can both add, you know, talking points in there and and talk through things. Got it. I always say, like, lead with ask before you assume. So if somebody's not making progress and maybe they haven't pointed it out, I would never assume reasons as to why. I would just simply ask them. Mm -hmm. You know, look, your metrics here are lower than the standard. Can you tell me why? Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be this big, scary conversation. And I think a lot of people associate accountability with being mean or punishing. But I think that actually is worse because think about somebody likely to change or to change their behavior or to do better in their job. Do they feel bad about themselves or good about themselves? People who feel good about themselves, they have Mm -hmm. a healthy sense of self-esteem, are more likely to perform in their job. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if I hold them accountable in a way that makes them feel like are they actually going to even be able to improve? The best managers just don't make people's lives harder. Yeah. And actually, in reality, most managers and leaders make the people that work for them's lives harder, not totally easier. Yeah. They make doing their job harder, not easier. And I look at it like my job as a leader is to make their jobs easier for them to do well. Yeah. I think it's like you've developed you have to develop a certain sense of, of of patience. And I think a lot of founders in the early stages, they just go nuts, right? I think because they're the founder. So yeah. um, anyway, I, I want to move on from this one. So let me ask you this. Very philosophical question. This could, this could, uh, this could go wrong, but we're going to take a risk here. <laughs> okay. So, so, and Alex isn't here. So if you were to decide to have kids, right? Mm-hmm. Because both of you are, are hard charging. Um, and this is interesting because I was talking about this with my my pet holding company buddy um, during lunch and his partner was there too. It's like, yeah. well, like, so how does it work if if Layla decides, like they decide to have kids, like, you know, one's going to have to like step back, right? Like, do you, like, how do you see it? Because it's like, that is another level, right? Yeah. So how do you look at it? Like if we were to have kids, what would yeah. happen? Yeah. Um, Would you dial I, it back or would you like keep pushing? Like, what do you think? I think there's trade-offs. Yeah. You know, I think I would put systems in place to allow me to get, you know, the most out of myself, like anything else. It's almost like there's a lot of times in the company where you have to step out to do something else that has occurred. Like right now, I have to make room to cover for the CFO. Mm -hmm. Well, that could just as well be I have to make room to take care of a kid. Yeah. And so you figure out ways. And I actually think that it provides a lot of opportunity for people in terms of, you know, if I were to have kids, then I would say like, this is a great opportunity for me to see like, where are the strengths and weaknesses of the, uh, weaknesses of the team if I put more on them, mm. as well as where are the gaps that I need to get somebody else in here for. Yep. And I would say the same goes for like home life. Like I would just like 
I would never do that on my own. Yeah. You know, I think that a lot of people like I look at my family that's Iranian and like it's great because there's like 15 of them in a house. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we don't have that here. So I would probably figure out, OK, well, how can I get enough people in the house and at work yep. that it could make it I have help on both sides, allowing it to be actually doable. Yeah. By the way, side, side question. Alex isn't here. Are you, you guys going to move back to L.A.? Back to okay, we actually never lived in LA. We lived in Orange County. Okay. No. Back to California. Too many taxes. Too wait. Too tax, many taxes. Too much taxes. Got it. Got it. Yeah, got it. I can't got, do it. it. got it. Um, the so you spoke at um the event that I had last year. Thank you. And one of the things I think you were asked on stage was who do you look up to, and your answer was no one. Right. So. Go ahead. I hate that question. <laughs> I like yeah. the answer though. Like so, the answer is more impressive to me. It's like. What is the the grand vision here, right? Because look, Alex's mission is to to educate, right? I'm just wondering, like, what are what are the primary drivers for you? What's the end vision? So, education is a real thing. I think we're both really passionate about that. I think for me, you know, something that we've talked about a lot is like there's an internal and an external mission, and I think that Alex has a mission that's for the greater community, mm -hmm. and my mission with Acquisition.com is how do I build a ten twenty $100 billion company, whatever, through encouraging people, really caring about people, helping people develop, helping people grow, and not turning into one of these very punishing organizations, typical PE, typical big corporate, yep. typical bureaucracy, which I understand why that accumulates over time. But I would just love to do it to get there because I, I know we'll get there, but I want to get there in a way that builds a culture based off praise, not punishment. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I, th I focus on is like, Everything that we've built, everyone always looks at the tactics and the funnel and the sales and this and that. And I'm just like, that's fine. It's a waste of time, though, because the reason <laughs> that we have built this it is the team. Yeah. It's the team. It's not like me and Alex are in there doing all that stuff all day. It's the team. And why is it that we're able to get people that are so talented and that want to work here and they stay a decently yeah. long time, you know, and they're very loyal. And it's because of the way we treat them. And it's because I think that I innately did a lot of things because I just really actually care about people. And then I realized why it works. And it's so contrary to most management that's taught that I just really want to, I don't want to talk about it right now. I just want to do it. And then in 10 years, people will be like, how'd you do it? And then I'll be like, there's proof. New book, The, the Acquisition Way. So there's this book I've been pushing right now, um, Scaling People from mm -hmm. the Stripe COO. So that's like the new modern day, like um, high output management, right? Okay. Like, Is it? Yeah. But then maybe you got the next one. I don't know. Like, so... We'll see. We'll yeah, see I'd be really interested what his is about. Hers. Um, Hers. It's, it's, sorry. It's really good. Um, like, there's so much more. Like, I want to talk about roles and responsibilities, hold co-rage. Um, but you just mentioned education also being part of your mission, too. So I guess what is in your learning stack? Because here's the thing. We've talked a lot about operations in this one, like recruiting yeah. team and all that, right? People might be, oh, my God, that's boring. But, like, that is everything, right? Yeah, um, it's a lot. Here's the thing also is actually I think is really interesting is like I think people assume that Alex doesn't give a f about any of that stuff and that I don't know anything about what he's doing. And we're both like absolute experts in both. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But yep. we just split our roles. Yep. And, and go ahead. Yeah. No. So I just think it's uh, it is interesting because I think people like label it as my domain. Like, yep. I know how to sell and market. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? And like yep. people see it him and they're like, oh, he doesn't know. Any he doesn't yep. know how to do all that. I think you know? humans just like to label things. Simply. 100%. Yeah. And like. And, and the, the problem with marketing sales is like it is sexier, but it's like this is the that matters at yeah. the end of the day. Um, but anyway, how do you get better at your job? That's the question. At what I do? Yeah. Oh, you mean like 
Do I consume something? Do I have mentors? Do I? Yeah, just any, because I just think you're a very good operator. Like, yes, you're good at sales and marketing, but like the people, like the stuff you're saying, like clearly you've put a lot of work into this. So you can say, I, I read nothing, right? It's just all experience. So it's actually really interesting. It brings me to like a conversation I had with one of our, like, he's basically family, Dr. Kashi. Which I just think it's just like amorphous character we talk about. Um, where I said, like, I feel like, I learn much more through doing rather than consuming these fluffy books. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I waste way more time reading. And if there's anything I've learned from him, it's that most of the best books were written hundred years ago. Mm. And so I actually only read books that Dr. Cashy recommends because he reads books by the people who came up with the ideas, not yeah. the people who have iterated on them. And so after that, we had a few conversations. He was like, you do learn more by doing. Mm-hmm. And you probably learn faster than anybody because you have an environment, which is a company, where you can experiment on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and then get the immediate feedback from it yep. versus reading a book and like having a, you know, something shared there. So yep. I think I actually look at what I'm doing in the company as an experiment. Every time a people situation arises, actually something arose today that was very upsetting to me. And I was like, how could I deal with this to get this outcome in a way that is least punishing for all? And so I called up Dr. Kashi and I talked him through it and said, I think this is what I'm going to do. And he had a few pieces of feedback. And then I was like, okay, this is, we were, we met with some other people and we were like, this is the plan we're going to go forward with. And then we'll see how it works. And that's feedback. And so I think that a lot of it is approaching people management with an experimental point of view more than like, I'm going to do this because people that are successful do this and they say it works, Yep. you know, and I think that's what has taught me so much has just been approaching everything as an experiment and then taking those learnings and then applying them going forward. I think that's been what's most helpful. And I think also just leaning into for me, I realized that there was so much bad advice that I was I was taking in through a lot of forms of media I was consuming, books I was consuming. And so I was like, I'm, I'm just going to find out for myself. You know what I mean? Yep. And I think taking a very like first principles approach to everything. Mm -hmm. Even with building acquisition.com, you know, everyone's like, you should really need to get a mentor in private equity. I'm like, yeah. why the f would I want a mentor in private equity? Yeah. Like, have you seen what their businesses and lives look like in yeah. most of them? And they're a lot of them are arrogant. I don't want one of those people as my mentor. Mm -hmm. I don't want to build a team like theirs who feels handcuffed and like they have to stay at their job because they're just paid a lot of money. So I was like, I'll figure it out. It can't be that hard. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. first principles thinking, like, don't buy a company. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, if the founder hates the company, probably shouldn't buy it. Like yeah. So I think I just approach most things like that. Like, I know that we overcomplicate things. And I think that the reason, Eric, that I feel like I approach it like that is because in building Gym Launch, so many of the decisions that I made with such little experience, just based off first principles thinking, ended up being the best decisions. And the ones that where I leaned on someone else, where I did something from a book, where from a podcast, some successful person said, those ended up never working out for yep. me. And I think I just realized I have to trust myself a lot more and also trust that I'll fail, yep. but that I can figure it out. Is also because you have the most context too. I have the most context on me. Yeah. You know, even when I get, I have people that are worth billions of dollars and they give me a piece of very absolute advice. I'm like, if he had all the context, he wouldn't give me that yeah. advice. Because <laughs> this is a problem with advice. It's based on their experience. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got two final questions and then we can wrap here. So I think I saw a quote somewhere else and then it reminded you talking about this, but where founders tend to step away from the business too soon. And you've seen that over and over. So are you have any advice for founders on this? Because it's like, it's so cool. Let's go hire an operator. Let's go hire a CEO, whatever. And then everything bombs. I think there's a couple of things, which is one, 
you often don't want to step away from something that you actually like. Seldom do I see that. You don't see me trying to step away from Mm acquisition.com. Could I put somebody in place? Probably. Do I want to? No, I like what I'm doing. And so I think that before anyone even thinks about stepping away, think about why do you not like your company (laughs) enough that you would rather be doing something else. Mm. And I think that a lot of people build companies that they don't like because they're using other people's judgments, other people's opinions. They're building it off of some book some dude wrote, right? And they're doing what other people think they should be doing rather than what they want to be. And I think that's why so many people want to get away from their company. So I would say like what in your company suppresses you to the point that you feel like you need to get away from it? And that would be something to figure out first. That's great. The second piece would be if you're trying to get away from the company, I think that most people, if they're trying to outsource it too soon, it's typically, yeah, you know what? I actually just think it's number one. I think they're trying to get out of pain. There's something that is punishing about the company. Therefore, they want to get away from it. And they don't care what they have to do to get away from it. Now, you can put an operator in place, but what's going to happen to the operator? Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, it'll be punishing for them too. And eventually they'll not want to be there. So I'm like, just fix the damn company. You know what I mean? Um, But I don't think people want to hear that. And I think oftentimes too, when it's very small, that's when the most problems are. Because usually it's like product market fit isn't quite right. You haven't really understood who your like true customer is. You're probably over-serving and like selling to too many people. Like there's all the same normal problems. You know, pricing's off. Like you just have to do the work to get past that. I think that I would encourage people to get to a place where they enjoy the business and running it before they try to outsource the whole thing. Totally. You will be more successful in outsourcing it. Yep. Yep. Look, one more thing before I before I end it uh, with the final question. Um, what was your name again? Jason. Jason. Okay. So one here's a huge testament. Those of you who can't see Jason here. So it is on a Sunday and we recorded for about three hours and 20 minutes over here. And Jason is super excited. And that's a testament to how good of a culture that Layla and Alex have built. I just want to say that, like, you cannot fake that, right? He can look like he totally hates it, but he's he's nodding his head right now. It's just like, that is what a great culture looks like. So I would encourage everyone to just re-listen to this. But here's the final question, and this ties in with it. You talk about engineering the culture where everyone wins. Tell us more about that. I think that a lot of the times, I think businesses are built to serve a founder or to serve a customer, but seldom do they think, how do we also serve the employees? And I think that when we built acquisition.com, it was equally, how do we build a place where we can make all the portfolio companies better, as well as how do we make our team better? And I think it doesn't take much more than like an extra lens to think through. So I'll give you an example uh, that I see at least, is like me and Alex are building our content, right? And we're building our platforms. And I see like long, long, how can I use my platform to elevate the people in my company? to then be have their own micro platforms within our platform? And then how can I build enough opportunity in acquisition.com that they can benefit from that opportunity with their micro platform they build within ours? Mm. So if we build what is my vision is like a mix of Gary V, Kim Kardashian. So it's like a mix of the Kardashians yeah. with Gary V. Like yeah. business, think business Kardashians. Like that's what I want to build. Yeah. And then how can I bring people in as characters into that show? and then give them platforms, and then create opportunities in acquisition.com where maybe, you know, because we've 
uh, taught people over the years and they've gotten to assimilate everything, they can go build a company within acquisition.com, use yeah. our brand plus their brand. It will benefit them and us. Yeah. So I just see like big vision. That's what I want to be able to build. And I think that the reason a lot of people can't or choose not to build a win-win culture is because they're too busy thinking, you know what? I don't want to put that person on a platform because what if they leave me? Yep. And the thing is, is that people will leave you either way. Mm-hmm. One way is where you suppress them and they say, F you, I'm going to go find somebody who doesn't suppress me or I'll go do it on my own. Or you can say, I will encourage them and I will invest in them. They could leave you with everything you've invested, but they're still better off. And you are because you've learned and you've been a better teacher. Or they could stay. Yep. And at the end of the day, you win together. And the one thing that I see is just like, I don't want to be at the end of my life and have just like me cheering for me. Like I want hundreds of people to be cheering for me because I made their lives better and I made them more money and maybe made them more famous than anybody else. Like that's what I would like to be able to do. And I think that at the end of the day, I also believe that the best people will not tolerate a suppressive leader. Mm -hmm. I think that the best people will only work for somebody who puts them on a pedestal not themselves.